were told to escape to Egypt, which they did. And this should remind you that Israel, too, grew up in Egypt and then came out of Egypt as God's son. But now Jesus is imagined as your king, as the faithful son, but Israel was not. So, like I said, Easter is just around the corner. And so we look at John chapter 18, 28 to 40, that Calvin read. And we come across an absolutely fascinating encounter between Jesus and Pilate. And of course, he represents the most brutal, powerful kingdom on earth at that time. But in this world of ancient kingdom, Jesus was not recognized because he was completely different from the kings and rulers of that time. So we know that Jesus was arrested. Sometime after he was agonizing in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, we know that Jesus or Judas betrays him just for some silver coins. And there they came, a band of Roman soldiers, chief priests and Pharisees, all surrounding Jesus with lanterns and weapons and torches, and it's like this overkill. He is bound. He's first taken to Caiaphas, the high priest. And then eventually, he's led to the governor's headquarters. There, Jesus would meet Pilate, the governor of Judea. So verse 28 says this, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the place of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to enter the Passover. So now you know that the occasion was the Passover. But the scene is really full of ironies here. The Passover, what did that remember? The Exodus story, right? And now it's become this festival, a festival where lambs are brought to the temple to be sacrificed for the atonement, the forgiveness of sins. But now Jesus is brought to the Roman headquarters, the governor, to have Jesus killed. And so... Jesus is already being brought as a lamb to the slaughter. It's already begun. John tells us that the Jewish leaders did not enter the governor's headquarters because they believed if they entered into a Gentile home with a roof over it, they would become ceremonially ceremonially unclean. But it's ironic because their hearts are bent on murder killing. They were already unclean. And so you're given a picture of the highest religious order of that day is absolutely corrupt. So Pilate, he goes out because they're not coming in, of course. He goes out to the head honchos. And he asked them, what charges do you bring against this man? The courts, in the the Jewish courts, of course, as you probably heard, did not have the power or right to execute or give the death penalty. 
they had to go through the Roman government because they were under the Roman government. And so the Jews, if they wanted someone executed, they had to make a good case. So this is a court proceeding. They hoped that, you know, if Pilate at least was willing to give them a few Roman soldiers to arrest Jesus, maybe he will go the extra way, all the way, and have Jesus executed. So this would explain Jesus, uh, sorry, the Jewish leader's rather terse reply to Pilate. And they said to him, you know, look, if he were not a criminal, we wouldn't bother bringing this man to you. Like, duh. To this, Pilate says, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. So Pilate's kind of cynical, like, oh, you guys. Here, at it again. The Jews' anger against Jesus was actually for theological reasons. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God and the Messiah. In the Jewish world, the Messiah, or King, Messiah just means anointed one. In their world, the Messiah was the absolute authority. And of course, they believed he had not come yet. But according to their laws, Jesus' claim was blasphemy. How could this man say he was the Messiah? But to Pilate, this definition, you know, his definition of a crime were people who opposed his rule or who opposed Roman rule. So insurrectionists, those who oppose you know, something about the Roman government and murdered in that sense against the Roman government, they were the true criminals, right? Those who caused murderous, bloody riots were evil. Those who caused, you know, insurrections, they were the ones who did evil against the empire. For them to convince Pilate that Jesus deserved to die, they had to couch things in the worst possible language, right? So that is why they labeled Jesus, he's a criminal. Because if he's truly a criminal, then he deserves to lie according to Roman law. Look at his behavior. But Pilate could see right through their disguise. He was no dumb bunny. Like, okay, I think this is your squabble, you guys. This is your theological squabble, not on me, man. He couldn't care less about their theological discussions and quibbles. That's why he said, deal with it yourself according to your own law. But they were hell-bent on wanting Jesus dead. And so the air is filled with absolute hatred and tension. So, Pilate decides to speak directly to Jesus. And so he enters the palace because Jesus is already inside. And he asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? While the title king was a political time bomb, the last time anyone in this area ever called anyone, the king of the Jews, was King Herod. And he died 30 years before. Yes, he's the same Herod 
that chased down Jesus and all the young boys in Bethlehem and killed those boys. Same Herod. But then he died shortly after that. Since then, Rome actually did not authorize anyone to be the king of the Jews in Judea because they knew it was a political hotbed. Didn't touch it. But why did Pilate ask Jesus this question? Are you the king of the Jews? Because the question, I think, has everything to, everything to do with authority. How much real authority does this Jesus actually have? He's just wondering. To use the title king in the Roman Gentile world would make Jesus look more like maybe an evil imposter if he really is a king then, well, maybe he is clamoring for power. So maybe I should be concerned about him. So he's wondering, could Jesus be a political threat? A claim to be the king of the Jews would be a charge of treason against Rome. But Jesus is not intimidated by Pilate's authority and answers his question with his own question, something, of course, you know Jesus did quite often, right? So he asked Pilate, is this your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? Now, Jesus could not have answered yes or no without knowing what Pilate meant. If Pilate meant you are a king and you are a threat to Rome, the answer would be no. If he meant, you are the messianic king of the Jews, the answer probably would be yes. But Jesus does not answer directly, but asks his own question of Pilate. Is this your own idea? Did others talk to to you about me? In other words, what kind of king are you talking about, Pilate? While Pilate doesn't answer Jesus directly, he recoils And he's not willing to admit to anything. In fact, his answer is indignant. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests, they've delivered you to me. Pilate obviously tries to distance himself from Jewish concerns. He's been doing that the whole time. Although he wouldn't admit to us, Pilate is probably still a little bit worried about his authority. There is something about Jesus he's just not certain about. And so he must ask the obvious kind of Roman question. What have you done? Right? He needs evidence. What have you done? And this is when Jesus answers with this very provocative answer. Jesus answered, My kingdom kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is from another place. So, one thing we observe, Jesus acknowledges his kingdom, right? But he makes a significant qualification. My kingdom is not of this world. Now, what does he mean? Well, first of all, it doesn't mean that Jesus' kingdom has nothing to do with this world. 
or that his kingdom is just a spiritual reality and nothing to do with the world. Now, in fact, Jesus has already taught all through Matthew and Luke and John about the kingdom. And he definitely told his disciples, pray God's kingdom will on earth as it is in heaven. So really, it has everything to do with this world. Not of this world or from another place means Jesus' kingdom is not a human invention. And it's not going to look like what the Roman Empire looks like. It does not operate as a world without God operates. If it were, Jesus says, then my disciples would have taken up swords to protect, my, protect me and stop my arrest. Uh, well, actually, Peter did try. Right? What did Peter do? Took out the sword, sliced off someone's ear, and he said, Peter, put that away. And what did Jesus do instead? He heals. The sword is the way of Herod. The sword is the way of Pilate. Today we might, we might say guns and tanks, right? But now God's son Jesus comes from heaven becoming like us to usher in a new kind of kingdom, a kingdom patterned after the ways of heaven through Jesus as our king. And Jesus' sole purpose was to bring this kingdom down from heaven to and for this world. So you could say, it is not of the world, but it's for the world. Big, huge difference, right? So Pilate answered, So you are a king then? He's confused. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Now, do you think that's bold or not? That's bold. Jesus is saying, I am indeed I don't think he's just saying a king. I think he's saying, I am the king. But hardly in the way Pilate understands kings and kingdoms. And Jesus makes it crystal clear. He was born into the world to bear witness to the truth. Those who know and believe this truth are people who listen to the voice of Jesus. I think that's what Jesus is saying. If you're tracking what's true, then you listen to his voice. Jesus is indeed a king, but he has not come with a sword or a gun. We recognize that he is speaking with incredible authority. 
And Pilate is stunned by it. He is the highest authority who brings truth into the world. Did Jesus talk about truth before? Well, he did. Following John, John chapter 14. Jesus boldly proclaimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is saying, I am truth. Truth is a person. No one comes to God the Father except through Jesus. Jesus embodies truth. Truth is the gift of Jesus, your King. He is God's Son from heaven. He was born to make his home in our neighborhoods, into our lives, so that we could know his truth. And when we know his truth, and God's kingdom reign, and his gentle and just leadership right here on earth, then he is creating a brand new humanity of people who listen to the voice of Jesus. When we listen and obey to his voice, he brings us true life where we can become God's new, transformed, humble humanity to be shining lights in our world. So that's the stuff you want to talk about more and more, right? We have to unpack that. But let's just talk about truth for a second. So everyone likes to think they are authorities on truth. Even those who say there is no truth. So people like Richard Dawkins, he's a biologist, and uh, he thinks that God is just a delusion, a figment of your imagination. So, well, he's an atheist, right? What is his truth? Well, he sets God aside and says, well, look at the earth. Look at science. That's your truth. Much of Western society today, um, what did I call it? Modern culture, thinks that truth is whatever you determine truth to be for yourselves. And so it's relative. It's a matter of opinion. So when we looked at the larger story of God's kingdom from the Old Testament, we just kind of parked ourselves in Genesis chapter 2 for a while. And of course you were exposed to human rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden. And so, in a sense, what they decided to do was to ignore all the gifts of God, ignore God's voice absolutely, and determine what was true, what was right and wrong for themselves, apart from God. And what did God say? What would happen? It would lead to death. You will surely die, was the consequence. So when we try to save and protect our lives through our own way, whether it be through, you know, you know, make your pick, money, work, pleasure, sex, or any kind of I'll do it my way determination, we become actually less human and more lost and more confused and without hope. And so when we turn God's good gifts into our saviors, we become enslaved to our own choices, our own saviors. Workaholism, alcoholism, 
whatever chosen sexual identities, and the list goes on and on. And God's creation is so corrupted, turning into idols and gods, not intended to be for that purpose. There is only one God, and that's God himself, Yahweh, in Jesus Christ. And so might doesn't make right. Fame and money doesn't win the day. All these versions of human truth that don't come from the mouth of Jesus are actually deceptions. They are deceptions of the serpent who showed up in Eden all over again. So in the end, Pilate ends his interrogation of Jesus with a cynical question after hearing what Jesus said about Truth. What is truth? Pilate doesn't want to listen to the truth. He just sneers at it. But Pilate is forced to realize that Jesus can't be charged with any kind of crime because, remember, he was looking for the evidence. What have you done? Well, Jesus has done nothing to offend the Roman Empire except maybe for being the king, because he is. So finding no evidence, he announces to the Jews, I find no guilt with him. But of course you know the story. Pilate is two-faced. Despite Jesus' innocence, Pilate succumbed to the pressure of the crowds, and he released a convicted, violent criminal in Barabbas, And Jesus was killed on the crucifixion cross instead. And it looks as if the truth of the sword, so to speak, has won because the Roman cross is the cross on which Jesus is hung and there hangs his dead body. Caiaphas gets what he wants. Pilate is just kind of doing what Roman leaders just do. Just as in the garden, Satan, Satan's lies bring death. But not so fast. Little did people realize that in the dark hours of the cross was Jesus' moment of glory. He wore no crowns, king's crown, but actually a crown of thorns. And on that day, the man who said he was the way, the truth, and life, he demonstrated the truth of his kingdom by dying in our place, dying the death that should have come to us. What king during that day dies for his people? Unheard of. Who washes their feet? No one on earth has heard of this before. And so the Christian story is so profound that you could say things like this. Jesus actually died for Caiaphas. Jesus actually died 
for Barabbas. I mean, he literally died instead of Barabbas. He set free. Even though he's guilty of sin. He died instead of you and me. And so God establishes his kingdom, the eternal kingdom of God, not by lifting the sword, but by lifting Jesus' body on the cross where he was killed. So why did Jesus have to die? He died the death that all humanity deserves because like Adam and Eve, we pushed God out and decided to be our own gods and determine our own truth. I mean, that's rebellion. Three days later, Jesus, the servant king, rises from the dead. What's happening here? He's demonstrating that the king is alive. He completely defeats sin, death, and Satan. There's more things going on here. Jesus reigns as king over his kingdom and now brings in a whole new humanity for everyone who trusts him. One moment. (coughs) So, (coughs) remember this. Jesus said at the beginning of this ministry, the first sermon we talked about this, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. This is the good news. <coughs> believe the good news. What does this mean? What is the good news? The good news is that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he provided a way for our, out of our spiritual slavery to sin. Jesus is our new exodus. Our own rebellion against God brought death, but when Jesus died, Jesus is not simply a victim. I mean, you can look at things historically and say, well, Jesus was simply a victim of evil men, which he was, of course. But upon theological reflection, we realize that Jesus actually could have stopped his own death. Instead, because of his love for you, he knew that the only way to save us from our slavery to sin was to die the death that we deserved. So, I give you one verse. Galatians 3.13, there's many others, but Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. All of humanity's sin came upon Jesus. And this is incredibly good news. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. Now we know that verse well, but let me just explain uh, two things that this verse does say. It doesn't tell us everything, but there's two things I want to point out. 
First of all, it teaches us that Jesus' death provides the means for our spiritual rescue for eternal life. He died the death we deserve. It doesn't mean that everyone is automatically saved, right? So we say, well, God so loved the world, right? And by dying for us, he saves us. Well, that's just a shorthand way of talking about the gospel. But it doesn't mean everyone is automatically saved. That is another fancy word for that, and that's called universalism, right? So basically, some people teach that because Jesus died for all people, therefore all are saved, in a sense, automatically. No, Jesus' death for us means he provided the means for salvation, okay? Secondly, and this is the important part that 1 John 3.16 wants to express, to receive this rescue, to receive forgiveness, to become this new humanity through the Holy Spirit, to receive eternal life, each person must what? Believe, right? Repent and believe in Jesus as their Savior and Lord and King. And so he's, Jesus is presenting himself to the world, how he is an absolutely trustworthy, And this is what he's done for you. He is the one whom you must believe. It's a new allegiance. Not your own gods, not the emperor, but Jesus himself. Now, I just want to give to you, um, you know, because some people might ask, how do you believe? What does this look like, right? I think we have to be practical sometimes. So if God moves in your heart, uh, maybe he is right now. Maybe you've never known a moment in your life where you said to Jesus, I believe in you. But as so God moves you, uh, most often, this is what happened to me when I was a young man, um, I prayed, Right? That's for most people. They pray. Or someone helps you to pray. In a humble prayer, we can say something like this. Lord, I have sinned against you. Thank you for dying for my sins and for forgiving me. I receive your deep love for me. And today I turn from my old life and trust you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Right? So it's a prayer of Surrender. This is a decision of your mind, your heart, your will. When Jesus said repent, um, that simply means we turn from our sin, right? So when we're in rebellion against God, and that's all humanity, you're actually walking one direction away from God, toward your own version of truth or whatever, right? Your own gods. But true repentance means stopping your track, right? Repent of the way you're going. Turn around toward Jesus as your king, okay? That's what repentance means. Changing your mind and turning to Christ, turning away from sin or self-determination and turning instead to Jesus Christ. 
And you know what's amazing is that when, when you turn to Jesus, you don't see a Jesus who is angry. You see a Jesus who is forgiving, who welcomes you with arms of love and full forgiveness. His anger against sinners and sin all was on the cross. Right? That's where it all happened. And so we, the church, turn to humanity and we want to tell the world this, right? He's paved the way. Will you follow Jesus? This is a new beginning. With Jesus leading us through his, um, the way to his salvation. And he gives us his Holy Spirit. And uh, we want to talk lots about that too. But the Holy Spirit is, is the person of God after Jesus left who helps us to live this new kingdom life, right? Live this new humanity life. But when you yield to Jesus, when you pray a prayer like this, the Spirit of God comes into your life. He baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. Living God's kingdom life is not simply about getting to heaven. This is why I want to talk about the kingdom, because the kingdom is so much more than that. I mean, that's obviously obviously a big, huge, and the kingdom of God will not be complete until we get there, okay? Or when the kingdom of God comes to this earth, to use the proper language. But in the meantime, we're living in the meantime, right? We need the Holy Spirit to live the kind of life God calls us to be. It is about becoming followers of Jesus through the power of the Spirit in every aspect and category of your life inside and out. But it all begins with Jesus as your King. So, you know what? I'm just going to leave that prayer up there. And uh, as once you close your eyes, or if you want to read it, don't close your eyes. And... Um, if you haven't done this before, and you sense God's tapping you on the shoulder to pray this prayer, and like I said, you know, it's with the mind, heart, and will. Then you pray that prayer. And then I want you to do something more bold than that, okay? If you pray that prayer, I want you to raise your hand. I want to, make, I want to help you make a decision. Because God wants to help you make a decision. Alright? So I'm going to give you some quiet time. And if God so leads you, you can pray this prayer. Lord, I have sinned against you. Thank you for dying for my sins and for forgiving me. 
I receive your deep love for me. Today I turn from my old life and trust you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. And with everyone's eyes closed, you know, if you made that decision, just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. Okay. All right. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. And Lord, I just pray for those who rose, raised their hand this morning. And first of all, we say hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for your love that you were a king, that you moved the heart of people toward your love to save them. Set them free, Lord, from the bondages of the past. Heal them. May they know your forgiveness and love, Lord. And we come to you today in humility, thanking you for all that you've done. You are our king. You are our savior. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And for those who, uh, if you raise your hand this morning, um, please talk to me or talk to someone that you trust. Okay, so God bless you.